The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Now, if you uh, worship here regularly, you might be thinking, oh, well, hey, Packers play at noon today, and so Pastor Gabe's going to have a really short sermon. Joke's on you. Uh, I, have a, I have a meeting after this, so I have to miss the game anyway. So we're just going, going all day, baby. All right, so I'm just kidding. It won't be that long. All right, uh, so we are, we're in the story. We've been in this series for like the, the better part of a year. Uh, and, and what we're doing in the story is we're going through the entire narrative of the Bible. We're looking at uh, who is God? What did he do? What did he make? What's, what's his plan? What's the overall narrative of Scripture? What do we see throughout God's Word? And so we're doing that through the story. And, and kind of serving as an outline for us is this book called The Story, which is really just the Bible summarized. Uh, we, have, we have copies for sale, five bucks if you'd like. You can talk to Sandy in our entranceway. Uh, just ask for a nice lady and she'll, she'll find you. Uh, we're in chapter 24 if you're following along. And really where we're at in the story of, of God as he relates to his people Uh, is this. Jesus is here. We're in the New Testament, second part of the Bible. Uh, Jesus is here, and he's here to fix that which is broken and sinful and and, and, and dark in this world, and he comes to bring light and healing and hope, and so that's why he's here. And so last week, we looked at how specifically he said his message is that anyone who believes in him would have eternal life. That is, that they'd, they'd, they'd have eternal life, which means, of course, that we have hope for a future, for sure. But what we're asking today actually is kind of a natural progression from that. So if Jesus says, hey, you believe in me, you have eternal life, that's great. That's hope for a future. But what does that mean for us today? Like, what does it mean for us to live into that eternal life right now? Well, that's what we get at in our, in our text for this morning. In the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he, uh, he tells us uh, what, what the church has traditionally called the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes. And uh, we're going to unpack those, but before we get there, I just kind of want to set the table for us a little bit. Um, so one of my, my favorite authors uh, is this guy named David Foster Wallace, and uh, one of my favorite things that, that he's ever done is he gave a, a commemoration speech at uh, Kenyon College. He was the, the speaker for graduation there, and, and he gave this speech, and he began this talk by telling a really simple little story, and it just goes like this. Uh, so one day, there's, there's two little fish two young fish, and they're swimming in the water, and they're going their way. And an older fish swims by the other way, and he says this. He just says, hey, boys, how's the water this morning? And they don't say anything, and they keep swimming. And uh, the, one of the younger fish turns and says to the other, what the heck is water? Now, it's not funny. You don't have to laugh. It's okay. There's like that awkward thing, because you think it's a punchline, but it's not. It's just what it is. All right, anyways, uh, what the heck is why? That's what the fish says. David Foster Wallace has this to say about his little story. That's the whole thing. This is what he says. We'll have the quote up here. It says, the immediate point of the fish story is that the most obvious, ubiquitous, important realities are often the ones that are the hardest to see and talk about. Stated as an English sentence, of course, this is just a banal platitude. He's an academic, so he has to talk that way. Um, But the fact is that in the day-to-day trenches of adult existence, banal platitudes can have life or death importance. Here's my point. Many of us swim through life, we, we go through life, and don't recognize the water that we're in. We don't recognize these truths that are deeply true about who we are, that are deeply true about the the world and how it works and what it means to live and move in it. We just don't see it. It's just the water we swim in. And what Jesus does in the Beatitudes, what Jesus does in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is he shakes us awake. And he says, hey, this is water. This is what's true. This is what you're in. This is what it looks like to live in my kingdom. 
And he does it through these words, the Beatitudes, these, what the church is traditionally called the Beatitudes, which if you grew up in the church, you, you've maybe heard them so many times that they can be what David Foster Wallace says, banal platitudes. They can just kind of be these things that are these nice sentiments that sound really good and, you know, we cross-stitch them and, and hang them up in our walls and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but as Wallace points out, these Beatitudes have life or death significance. They're tremendously important. And Jesus meant for them to have that much importance. He intended them to have that much importance because really what he's doing in the Beatitudes is he's laying out the values of his kingdom. He's saying, these are the things that my people are going to prize. These are the things that my people are going to celebrate and be excited about. This is what it's going to be about. So he lays out the values, but we see not only in this text, we're going to see this today, he's going to lay out the values, but then he's going to give us the strength to live in the values. That's the second thing we'll see. He gives us the strength to live into his values. And then thirdly, we'll see the product, the end result of what happens when we live into those values with the strength he provides. All right? So values of his kingdom, the strength to live into those values. And then thirdly, we'll see the product of what happens. So we're going to see. Now we know that Jesus in the Beatitudes is, is giving us the values of his kingdom uh, because of how the Gospel of Matthew is written. It's really cool, all right? At least I think it is. Uh, so throw on your nerd glasses. Here we go. So, so basically, uh, the Gospel of Matthew was, was written for primarily a Jewish audience. When, when he wrote it, that's kind of who he was gearing it towards. And so everything in the Gospel of Matthew is really aimed at, at telling the Jewish people, like, hey, this is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. This is the guy that God has said he's going to send for the last... Thousands of years, he said, this is the guy, this is the guy. And, and uh, Matthew's trying to make clear, like, this is the Messiah. He is here. He has shown up. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And one in particular that Matthew really emphasizes is a prophecy in Deuteronomy 18. And in Deuteronomy 18, God tells his people, he says, one day, I'm going to raise up a prophet who's going to be greater than Moses. He's going to be a prophet like Moses, who's the, the first leader of the Israelites. He's going to be a prophet like Moses, but he's going to be greater than Moses. And so really in the first five chapters of Matthew, we see what Matthew's doing, the way he's structured his gospel literarily, is, is he's, he's showing us a parallel between Moses and Jesus. It's crazy. You can look through your Bible if you want. But it starts off, and Jesus in the gospel of Matthew is born under duress. There's a king killing a bunch of little babies. Same thing happens in Moses, right? Pharaoh starts killing off all the Israelite babies. So Jesus is born under duress. Moses is born under duress. And then Moses escapes through Egypt. Jesus and his family, Matthew chapter 2, escape through Egypt. And then you get to, uh, to Matthew chapter 3, and Jesus is baptized. What did Moses do? He crossed through the Red Sea. And right after they go through water, Moses takes the Israelites through the Red Sea, and, he, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus, right after he's baptized, goes in the wilderness and wanders for 40 days. And then the next event that happens in Moses' life is he goes up on Mount Sinai and he gives the law to God's people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, and he lays the law out for them. And we get to Matthew chapter 5, and sure enough, Jesus climbs up a mountain and he lays out what it looks like to live for his kingdom. Just look with me at Matthew 5, verse 1. It says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, just think through this with me. If, if Matthew's trying to help us see Jesus as a parallel to Moses, and if this is similar to when Moses gave the law to the Israelites, what's going on here? Like, like, why did Moses give the law to the Israelites? I think sometimes people think it's like, ah, Moses gave the Israelites the rules to follow so that God would accept them, so that God would love them, so that they'd be okay. That's why he did it. But that's just not true. 
See, in Scripture, constantly the theme we see is that grace precedes obedience. That God comes to us and he calls us and he claims us as his own, regardless of who we are, regardless of what we've done, regardless of, of our moral standing. And he says, you're my kid. And then he says, this is what it looks like to live in my kingdom. And so that's what happens when Moses gives the law to the Israelites. And that's what Jesus is doing here when he talks to his disciples, when he talks to us. He says, hey, you're mine, you're my people, you're brought in. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you're coming from. You're in the kingdom, baby. This is what it looks like to live into that reality. This is what it looks like to share the values that I have. And so that's what he does in the Beatitudes is he shows us the values of his kingdom. And so what does it look like? What does it look like? What are those values? Well, he tells us in the Beatitudes, verses 3 through 10, we'll have them up here. And I'm not going to just read through all of them right now. What we're actually going to do is go through them one at a time here, all right? So if you start to fall asleep, you just pinch your neighbor, all right? And, or have them pinch you. Uh, we'll make that work. But we're going to go through them one at a time real quick here. Um, but before we even get into them, I just want to point this out. The word blessed, right? So, so blessed. What does that word mean? Like, we, we don't use that word a lot. What does it mean to be blessed? Uh, well, I, the one thing I have learned about the word blessed is uh, living in Texas for the last few years, uh, if, right? Yeah, everyone already knows. If, if an older lady says to me, uh, oh, bless your heart, that really means, oh, you're being an idiot, right? Like, I've, I've learned that, right? Um, I, I hear it a lot. Uh, and so, so anyway, so, so blessed, uh, it's, it's the Greek word, um, what is the Greek word? Hold on, I wrote it down. Makarios, all right? It's a hard word, makarios. Uh, and, and there's not really like a great English translation. Some people would say, well, it means happy, means happy. And some people are like, ah, it's not deep enough. It means joyful. Okay, well, what does joyful mean? Well, the best definition I've heard for being blessed is this word, is, is deep satisfaction. Two words. That to be blessed is to be deeply satisfied. That that's what it is to be blessed. And so what Jesus says here is that his disciples, those that understand, those that get his kingdom, those that share his values, they are deeply satisfied. They are blessed as they live into those values. And so what does that look like? So let's just go through them, all right? So he says, first of all, blessed are the poor in spirit. All right, so literally, that, that's translated as spiritually poor. He says the spiritually poor are blessed. Now, why are the spiritually poor blessed? How does that work? Well, we actually talked about this last week. See, the, the only way we get to God, the only way we connect him is when we recognize that we don't have it in us. That spiritually, you can't fix you. That spiritually, you're dead before God. And it's only when you're in that poverty of spirit that you learn to cling to the grace of Jesus. That you recognize what he's done for you. That you find hope in him. That's so we're called to be poor in the spirit. When that happens, we're blessed. And see, recognize how important that is. Because so often, we're not poor in spirit, we're middle class in spirit. Right? We're middle class in spirit. I did my work, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and now I get what's coming to me. And that's how we relate to God. Say, God, I did this, I followed your rules, I did your things, I said my prayers, why don't you like me, why don't you love me, why don't you accept me because of my performance? That's middle class in spirit. Jesus says, no, 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 you gotta be poor in spirit. You gotta see that you need my grace. That apart from me, you're not in a great place. You gotta be poor in spirit. Next, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn. So mourn over what, right? Well, first of all, mourn over death, for sure, and then we're comforted because we know we have hope of eternity. But I think there's something else going on here. I think when Jesus talks about blessed are those who mourn, it's mourning over the sake of the world. 
mourning over the brokenness we see around us, mourning over the tragedies that surround us day in and day out. Uh, the great reformer Martin Luther, when, when he, uh, he translated this, this passage from the Greek to the German so that people could understand it, uh, he used this, this really weird word. Here we go. Try number two. Leidtragen. It's a beautiful language. Uh, Leidtragen. And, and, it, and it, literally, it literally means sorrow-bearing. Sorrow-bearing. So his understanding was this. Hey, blessed are those who bear the sorrows of the world, who feel the pain of the world deep within their bones. He says, blessed are those people, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek. That's not a word we use a lot. There's a reason for that. What does it mean to be meek? There's a reason we don't use it a lot. Okay, get ready, America. To be meek is this, is to renounce your own rights, I know, for the sake of the other. That's what it is. To be meek is to be in a position of maybe power, a position where you actually earn something, where you actually deserve something. You say, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to let someone else have it. I'm not going to take this good thing that's coming for me for the sake of someone else. That's what it is to be meek, to renounce your own rights for the sake of the other. So, for example, I heard a story once of a, a guy who went to visit Mother Teresa in Calcutta, and, uh, and he went to visit her, and he shows up, and he meets Mother Teresa, and the first thing he notices is that her feet were just gross. Like, he's like, man, Mother Teresa, like, wow, your feet, they're just deformed, like, they're dirty, they're, like, they just look awful. And, uh, you know, not wanting to insult Mother Teresa, he asked some of the other nuns, and he says, hey, what's, what's the deal? What's, what's going on with this lady's feet? And, uh, and they said, oh, yeah, that. So this is what happens. Throughout the years, as, as uh, Mother Teresa's been running this, this home for the dying, people would donate used shoes uh, for people to wear. And what Mother Teresa does is whenever a new donation comes in, she takes all of the shoes and she sorts through them and she finds the absolute worst pair and she takes them for herself and she wears them so that no one else has to. And over the years, what's that, what that's done is deform her feet. That's meek, Right? That's meek. That's saying, hey, this could be mine. This is rightfully mine. Like, I'm running this show here, but I'm giving it up for the sake of the other. I'm not going to be imposed upon. I'm not going to demand my rights. I could really be offended, but instead, I'm letting go of that for the sake of other people, for the benefit of others. That's meek. Now, understand, by the way, the irony of what Jesus is saying here. I just love it. He said, blessed are the meek, right? Blessed are those who, who don't claim what's theirs, who don't claim their piece of the pie, who aren't power hungry, why? For they shall inherit the earth, right? Those that don't seek to claim the earth end up getting the earth. It's beautiful, beautiful irony that he does here. All right, next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, well, what is righteousness? Well, righteousness is to be in a right relationship with an object. Uh, and in particular, what Jesus is referencing here is a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. That we want to be in a right standing before God. We want to be in a right relationship with other people. And Jesus says, the number one value, one of the number one values in my kingdom is, is seeking for deeper intimacy with God, is seeking to know him more, is seeking to be closer and closer to him every day of your life, is seeking to be in the rightest relationship you can be with him, and then seeking to live in love towards other people, wanting that to grow more and more. He says, if you crave that, if you hunger and thirst after that sort of living, after that sort of life, he says, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to be filled. Next one, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. If you go to the next slide for me, brother. They shall receive mercy. All right, now merciful, those are, these are people that are not turned in on themselves, but they're turned out. 
And in particular, the idea of mercy is, is caring for someone who is less fortunate than you. It kind of carries that connotation with it. It's not just kind of generic being nice to everybody. It's specifically caring for those less fortunate for you. And so he says, blessed are those who do that. Uh, my boy Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it like this. We'll have the quote up on the screen. It says this. Speaking about the merciful, he says, they have an irresistible love for the downtrodden, the sick, the wretched, the wronged, the outcast, and all who are tortured with anxiety. They go out and seek all who are enmeshed in the toils of sin and guilt. No distress is too great, no sin too appalling for their pity. If any man falls into disgrace, the merciful will sacrifice their own honor to shield him and take his shame upon themselves. That's the merciful. That's what the merciful do. Next beatitude. We'll get back to those verses. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, 19th century uh, Danish philosopher uh, Søren Kierkegaard said, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And, he, and, and in the book that he wrote with that exact same title, he said that one thing you're meant to will is what he calls the good. And then he defines the good as God. And so he says, purity of heart is, is to will God. For that to be your number one thing to be pursuing. Now, of course, when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, uh, I don't think he was referencing a 19th century Danish philosopher. Uh, but, but I do think Kierkegaard was referencing him. And I think he hits the nail on the head because what does Jesus say is the number one command? Number one, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your will. Purity of heart is to will one thing. That's what it is to be pure in heart. Next, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers. So not only are we called to have peace, not only does Jesus give us peace, but he says, my people are called to make peace. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in our culture, in our world, whether it's about race, whether it's about politics, whether it's about sexuality, whether it's about economics, we are getting more and more and more polarized. It's so much more easier to start lobbing bombs at those people over there that don't get it, that don't understand, that are just idiots because they don't think the way I do. And Jesus says the people in my kingdom who share my values, they're not a part of that. They're seeking to make peace. They're building bridges where they've been burned. They're maintaining relationships where normally everyone else would have walked away. They're uniting people that normally would have nothing to do with one another. That's what it is to be a peacemaker. That's what Jesus says is this value in his kingdom. Finally, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Understand this, church in America. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not those who are persecuted for being a jerk. You're not being persecuted, you're just getting what happens when you're a jerk right? Not blessed are those who are persecuted for being an idiot. You're not being persecuted, you're just being an idiot. No, no, no. Being persecuted for righteousness sake. What does that mean? It means you're pursuing things that God cares about. You're pursuing justice and truth and standing up for those and you're catching flack for it. It means you're seeking to advance the gospel wherever you can and it's awkward and weird and you're catching flack for it. Jesus says that's a blessed position to be in. Uh, so this past week, I, I sat down with a couple of my buddies, uh, both of whom are, are not 
pastors or in professional ministry or anything like that. There's Christian dudes, and we were talking about uh, what it looks like really to, uh, to seek to advance the gospel wherever God has placed us, whatever context we're in. Uh, and my one friend, he just said, man, Gabe, like, I, I got all these friends around me, I got these people around me at work and whatever, and, and I feel like, you know, I talk to them about Jesus, and I try to tell them about the Lord. They don't know, they don't know Jesus. They're not really part of this whole Christianity thing. And I, and I just try to share the gospel with them. And he said, man, I just feel like I keep getting told no. And I just feel like I just look like this huge dork, and I just feel like people are laughing at me, and it's just, it's just eating me up inside. And my other buddy who's sitting here, he goes, awesome, bro. Like, that's what it's about. Right? He says, that's what we signed up for. That's how this works. That's how you know you're doing something right. You're catching some heat for it. It's a good thing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so there you have it. All right? We just went through the Beatitudes, these values in Jesus' kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I look at that list, I look at the Beatitudes, and I think, dude, I'm not sure I'm really living into those too well right? Like poor in spirit, that seems kind of like the gimme, uh, but, but truth be told, I'm, you know, I'm oftentimes middle class in spirit, and, and I get self-righteous and that sort of thing, and, and meek, I don't know that I'm really giving up my rights for the sake of others, and I mean, come on, Gabe, you referenced Mother Teresa, you know, I'm not living up to that, like, come on, like, like don't you just want to ask Jesus, like, who could possibly live up to these values? How could you possibly ask us to do this? We, we can't live into them, we can't embody them perfectly. What's the deal? Why would he ask us to do something we can't do? Point two. Jesus tells us where the strength to live into these values comes from. He hints at it. He shows it to us. Look with me at verse 11. He says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. There it is. That's the key words. On my account. On my account. See, unlike a democracy, the strength of a kingdom is not found in the people. The strength of a kingdom is found in the king and what the king does. And so understand what Jesus does here. All these values he's espousing that he's throwing out there, he's living into them. He's embodying them perfectly. Right? I mean, just think through it with me. Think through the, the life of Jesus with me. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. When was Jesus poor in spirit? He's in the garden. He's about to go to the cross. He says, God, I, I don't want to do this. But not my will, but, your be done, but yours be done. You're going to have to take me there. Blessed are those who mourn. There's this point in the Gospels where, where Jesus comes up to the city of Jerusalem, and it says he starts weeping. It says he's moved with compassion because the people are like sheep without a shepherd. Blessed are the meek. Does Jesus have that one covered? I don't know. He's son of the eternal God, creator of the universe. Leaves all of that to be born as a little baby in a manger, surrounded by animals. And he does all of that for the sake of the world. Gives up his rights for the sake of others. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think we can just put a check mark by that one. Merciful. What does Jesus do? He feeds the hungry. He heals the sick. He's always with the marginalized and the outcast and the poor. That's what he does. He extends mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. His will was in perfect line with his Father's. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what he came to do, to bring peace between God and the entire cosmos. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
Well, that's how he died, isn't it? That he stood for what was right, for what was true. And the political and religious powers of his day nailed him to a cross for it. You see, Jesus doesn't lay these values out and then say, good luck, guys. No, no, he lays them out and then he embodies them perfectly for us. He shows us what it looks like. And someone says to me, they say, all right, well, Gabe, that's fine. Jesus is a great example. He lives into these values. That's so cool. It's awesome to see what he can do. But how does that actually give me strength? How does Jesus being an example for me give me strength? It doesn't. It doesn't, it can't, and it won't. And honestly, if all Jesus ever is is an example, if you say, wow, that guy's great, I really want to live up to him, it'll absolutely crush you if you really try because you won't do it. It'll absolutely crush you if all he is an example. See, so here's the trick. You ready? Life hack. There you go, kids. All right, uh, so, uh, so here's the trick. Jesus has to be more than an example. His living into the Beatitudes has to be more than just an example. His living into the Beatitudes has to be done for you. You have to see that he embodies these values. He lives into these truths for you. For you. You got to receive that deep into your heart. You got to see that as true at the absolute core of your being. And when that happens, it actually emboldens and strengthens you to actually live into them. It really does. If you see that Jesus became poor in spirit so that you might become rich in spirit, that strengthens you. If you see that he mourned over you, that he mourned over your sin, that he mourned over your darkness, over the broken things in your life, then he mourned so much over that that it led him to the cross that he would die for the sake of them, that you might be forgiven, that you might know your Father in heaven. That sink in. If you see that he stepped down from the glory of heaven, that he entered into this world, that he might never leave you, that you might never be alone, that he'd walk with you every step of the way. If you see that he was meek for you, if you see that his hunger and thirst for righteousness, that he lived the life that you could not, he did that so he could give it to you. So you could say, hey, your brokenness, your darkness, your sin, I'll take that. You take my righteousness. You take my perfection. You stand before your Father, holy and dearly loved. You see, he did that for you. If you see that his mercy was for you, that he reached down to get you, to help you, if you see that he fulfilled the will of his Father perfectly and he said, hey, I'll take your impure heart, you take my pure heart, you're good to go. You see, he did that for you. You see, he came to bring you peace with God and bring peace in your spirit. And if you see that ultimately he was persecuted for true righteousness' sake, that he was crushed by his enemies, nailed to a cross, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be healed, so that you could be loved both now and forever, if you see that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you. See, if you get that, if that sinks deep into who you are, baby, you got strength for days. Strength for days, right? So, so for example, you, you don't need to be middle class in spirit. You can be poor in spirit because you know you've got a savior. And you can be merciful because you know how much mercy you've been given. And you can be meek. You can give up your rights. You don't need to have any claim for power. You don't need to be power hungry. The king of the universe says he's with you. You're good to go. See, man, it's strength for days if you see that Jesus embodies the Beatitudes for you. That it's for you. Did you get that? I mean, we can go on and on with that. See, once the gospel penetrates into your heart, 
when what Jesus has done for you is at the core of your being, is that real for you, then you'll find yourself living into these values. You really will. It happens. I've seen it happen. It's incredible. And so that's why Jesus concludes his sermon here by saying, hey, here's the values. Here's the strength to live into the values. This is what happens when you do that. And he shows us uh, in these next few verses. He says, you become part of a community in which you are salt and light. Salt and light. And uh, truth be told, I don't have time to go into to salt and light uh, this morning. Uh, but if you, uh, I, I literally preached on this set of passages at Acts Antioch, our evening worship service last week. Uh, and so if you're a glutton for punishment, you can look that up on, uh, on the podcast and, and you can listen to it if you want to. Um, but he says you're salt and light, that that's the product, that you become a part of a people that's salt and light as you embody the Beatitudes. And, and so real quick, what does salt do? It preserves that which is good. And what does light do? It exposes that which is dark. And so Jesus said, by, by my strength, you start to embody these Beatitudes. What you're going to be doing is preserving that which is good in the world and exposing that which is dark in the world. And you'll be a part of a community that's doing that. And that's what happens. And, and the world needs that. The world needs the church to be salt and light. He need, it needs us to preserve that which is good and expose that which is dark. It needs us to embody the Beatitudes. And I say all this, and I know there's people that say, well, hold on. Like, that's all well and good. These values are very nice, and I'm sure the gospel strengthens us living into them. But, like, I've grown up in the church, or maybe I haven't. I've just known some Christians, and I'm not seeing that happen. I'm not seeing people embody that. I'm not seeing these things lived out. Let me say this, if that's you. Be patient. Like, crazy patient. Because spiritual maturity, spiritual growth takes a long, long time. It's a long game, man. I wish it happened overnight. Make my job super easy, man. My ROI, my, I just like, my metrics would be awesome, right? But it just doesn't happen overnight. It's not how it works. And so we gotta be patient with one another. We gotta bear with one another. We gotta let people mature and grow into these beatitudes, grow into these values. But let me also say, it does happen when people live into these values, and we just gotta celebrate it. We gotta recognize it and celebrate it. And so I just wanna take a moment as we close and, and just kinda point out where that's happened, at least for me recently. Um, but let me just preface it by saying this. Uh, so uh, when you're in seminary, this, this just happens. Uh, when you're in seminary, you, you sort of start to dream. Because you know, like, all right, you're locked in. You, you, like with a seminary degree, you don't do anything else but be a pastor. It's not like, well, I'll try engineering. It just doesn't work that way, right? And so, uh, so you know you're locked in. And so you start dreaming like, all right, man, where's God going to send me? Who's the people he's going to call me to serve? What's that going to look like? And, and honestly, you start dreaming of these things. You start to imagine this like perfect community where, where the people in, the, in a church really love one another. And not only do they love one another, they, they love the people outside their church. And, and they love the poor. And then, oh, on top of that, they're just like super evangelistic. Like they just love talking about Jesus. And they're sharing their faith with their friends all the time. Oh, and then they pray every day. And my goodness, they read their Bibles every day. They're Bible scholars, and they fast on Fridays, and it's, it's just incredible. Oh, and they love to volunteer on Sundays. You don't got you you to drag people kicking and screaming. You just got this list that's so long of everyone who wants to serve on a Sunday. That's the dream. And then you hit reality, right? And you meet real people. And you find out that, that no church is perfect. No church is like that, not even ours. And we have the best church in the entire universe. So if we're not there, who is, right? No person is like that. Even good old Pastor Gabe. But if you look for him, there's these incredibly beautiful moments where God's people truly embody his values. 
There's incredibly beautiful moments where God's people show us what it looks like to be salt and light, to live into the Beatitudes of, of Jesus' kingdom. So I just want to share one recently. Um, so I was at our, our management team meeting last month, and uh, our management team is, is kind of the leaders in our church that really run the, the business end of things, so the, the finances and our polity and our systems and structures, so like all the boring stuff. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm at the meeting and um, was not expecting to see the Beatitudes embodied, but, but sure enough, they were. Uh, we started going through our agenda, and, and so the, the first thing on the, the agenda came up, um, and, and it was this. Uh, our, our neighbors next door, Style Salon, uh, just asked that we not fill up all the parking spaces uh, in, in the parking lot. And uh, I was like, oh, man, you know, we paid so much money. I want to figure out signage. I want to do that. I want to make this work. I was just real grumpy about it. And our management team was like, let's calm down, all right? Like, they asked. We want to be good neighbors. We want to love our, the people next door to us. Let's get some signs. Let's see what else we can do to, to bless our neighbors next door to us. What's that called? It's called being meek. It's called giving up your rights for the sake of others, right? Next item on our agenda was this. Uh, we're, we're, we are filling up the parking lot anyways, so maybe we could have those who serve poke at the, park at the post office and walk here. Peacemakers. Next order of business was, was how can we help our owner of this building uh, fill the, the space where his, his grocery store used to be? So strengthen our community to help people out. Blessed are the pure in heart. Next order of business was we just received a large donation of food to the church, and it was like, well, what are we going to do with this? And our management team was like, well, why don't we give it to one of our food pantries so that they can better distribute it than we ever could and, and help people in need. Blessed are the merciful. Next order of business was a, a new local church planter uh, contacted me and said, hey, uh, we're trying to start a new church. We're trying to spread the gospel in, in this city. And uh, we just we don't have a trailer to haul our stuff around. And our management team said, oh, well, why don't we just let them use our trailer? No brainer, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so I remember, like, this conversation is happening. It's all these little things that are just sort of piling up. And I wasn't really a part of it because I'm not that pious, and so I'm just kind of sitting there and watching them be good people. And, uh, and it's, like, it's the most incredible thing. And, and I remember, like, I looked up, and, and Pastor Barrett, who's another pastor here, uh, he was kind of misty, and he's not here so I can say that. And, and I'll admit it, I was a little misty in the eyes. We're like, oh, this is beautiful. And, and, and the management team was like, what is wrong with you guys? We're like, you don't understand. Like, like, this is the dream. Like, these sort of conversations where, where God's people are really not thinking of themselves, not turning inwards, but thinking, how can we embody the values that Jesus has called us to? Man, in, in simple, everyday ways like this, it's just the most beautiful thing in the world when we're salt and when we're light. And so we need to look for those moments. We need to celebrate those moments and be patient with one another in the meantime. Let me just say this for you personally, though, as, as you go from this place today. May the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you, may that give you strength to live into his kingdom. May that give you strength to embody the values he's called us to. We pray this all in Jesus' name. If you all would pray with me. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks that you've called us to be your people, to be your kingdom people, that it's not anything we do or don't do but it's purely by your grace that you've washed us, you've made us clean, you've put uh, faith in our, our hearts to know you, to trust you. Lord, teach us to be what you've called us to be. Help us to see all that Jesus has done for us. May that strengthen us, embolden us, excite us, that we may embody his values. Pray this all in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.